Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, the 17th of May, 2020. And as we meet here together, wherever you are from, you are very, very welcome. In the Psalms, we read that the word of God is sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths. And how sweet? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. How sweet are these words? Once more, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear the Lord. These are strange days, but we come to praise the Lord. Come as you are 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you are the fairest and the greatest and the first above all. And this morning, with hearts that are full of praise, we gather to remind ourselves and to tell of your great deeds. When we think about you, Lord God, 10,000 times 10,000 thoughts spring up. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. O oh Lord, how sweet are your words to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouths. You know us. You know our frailty and you love us just the same. Father God, we praise you today. And we thank you for the bodies that you have given us. For strength and for vigor. For eyes that can see sunsets and for hands that can do your bidding. And for ears that can hear your word. Thank you today, Lord, for full cupboards and for your daily providence. Thank you for when food satisfies our hunger and for when drink quenches our thirst and for tongues that can taste both sweet and bitter alike. We thank you for our families and our friends. Isolated as we are, still we praise you. Thank you for the communities in which we live and for the ability to serve others. Thank you for the hearts that beat within us that can feel sorrow and necessity and joy and love. Thank you for minds to think with 
and for mouths to speak. Lord God, we could spend this whole day thinking of you and still we would lack the words to express the unsurpassed worth of our God. And so we thank you for your word and for the words of prayer taught to us by Christ. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Boys and girls, if you want to get off the sofa, if you want to get down a wee bit closer to the screen, come close, come close, come close, not that close, back up. Back up and give a brother room. The fuse is lit and I'm about to go boom. Boys and girls, it is the children's address. Now, over the past lot of weeks, we have been learning lots of things from the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of John, the apocalypsis. And particularly in this book, we have been hearing some names of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. David, our friend down in New Mills, was telling us just last week that Jesus is the root of David. We have been hearing lots of amazing things about Jesus in the book of Revelation. And I am about to tell you... Understand, man. I'm just passing through. Who, who are you? I'm Mozart, the misunderstood monster, dude. Mozart, the misunderstood monster? Yeah, man. Now you got it. So, so you're not going to eat me? No, man. So, so you're so you're not going to like, chase me all around the church? No, baby. So, is it okay if I, if I like stand up? Can, can I, can I come out? Sure, man. Come on out here. Well, hello, Mozart. I'm kind of sorry for my reaction this morning. I, I've, I've just had some strange experiences over the past few weeks and. And I guess I just thought you were going to come to eat me. Everyone does, dude. I'm always misunderstood. But look at me, man. I'm so relaxed, you can't even see my lips move. I'm freshly squeezed, baby. Well, Mozart, I, I'm so sorry. Please accept my apologies. My name is Scott. This is Eden Grove Church. You're welcome here. Mozart. What brings a guy like you to a place like this? 
I'm on my way to Cross Gar to chill with my boy, Burke. He's the king of the hipsters in these parts, and we're going to light a fire in his garden, drink fancy coffee, and recite some French poetry. Wow. I, uh... I didn't see that coming. I misunderstood, baby. But hey, Scotty, can I drop a truth bomb all up in your face? Sure, Mozart. Why not? I'm always up for learning something new. It's an old saying that maybe you're familiar with. Never judge a monster by the size of his teeth. You guys like to say, uh, never judge a book by its cover. You dig, man? I think so, Mozart. I saw your fur, I saw your nose, I saw your horns, I saw your teeth, and, well, I, I completely misunderstood. I got it completely wrong. You really do dig, baby. I think I do. But hey, look, Mozart, before you go, are you familiar with the Bible? Sure, baby. I've read the Bible from cover to cover in the original languages. Wow. Wow. Mozart, I really have misunderstood you. I didn't expect that either. I misunderstood, baby. Apologies again, Mozart. I'm really sorry. I'm glad you've read the Bible. And we're trying to teach the Bible to, to all the little boys and girls that are watching at home right now in the comfort of their own sofas and in their own living rooms. And over these past lot of weeks, we've been teaching them, Mozart, about the book of Revelation. The Apocalypse of John, an apocalypsis, and particularly things that have been revealed to us about Jesus. And so Mozart, we've told the boys and girls that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And today, Mozart, in the Bible, in Revelation 3 and verse 14, it says that Jesus is the Amen. Do you know what that means, Mozart? Sure do, Scotty Dog. A man means true. You've got it, baby! <laughs> Just call me Mozart. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Sorry, Mozart. Uh, apologies. I got a little bit carried away. <laughs> please, uh, please forgive me. Anyway, you're right. Amen, amen, it means true. And so Mozart, when we're praying in church after a prayer, we say, amen, which means that's true. Let it be true, Lord. And then when we are reading God's word and when we're preaching it later in the service, sometimes somebody might shout out, amen. Again, we're saying that's true. And so when we say that Jesus is the amen, we're saying that he is true. Boys and girls, do you know, some people don't think that Jesus is real. Some people think that Jesus was a, a good guy. Some people, Mozart, think that he was just some guy that did good things and then Christians have, have blown it out of all proportion. But today, Mozart, today, boys and girls, the Bible says that Jesus is the Amen. He is true. And he's not just... A little bit true. He's not just true sometimes. Jesus never said a wrong thing. 
Jesus never told a lie. Jesus not once ever gave us something that he then took back the next day. Jesus is the Amen. And indeed, boys and girls, in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, Paul writes that every promise that God has ever made was found to be yes and amen in Jesus. Boys and girls, Jesus is the great amen. We've heard lots about him. The Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Root of David, and now today, the amen. And so, boys and girls, Mozart, if this is true, if Jesus is the great amen, well... When he speaks, we need to listen to him. When Jesus says something, we need to take it seriously. When Jesus tells us, for example, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one gets to go to heaven except through faith in Jesus, then amen. It's absolutely 100% true. So Mozart, I'm sorry for misunderstanding who you are and what you're all about but it's important today that you me the boys and girls everybody watching at home it's important that we do not misunderstand jesus he's the amen the faithful witness the savior and friend of sinners and what we need to say to him today is amen lord i believe you are exactly who you say you are. What do you think, Mozart? Amen, baby. Amen, Mozart. Jesus is the Amen. Heavy, dude. Whoa, 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 Mozart. No need to insult me. I know I got a little bit misunderstood earlier on. I got a little bit confused. There's no need to say that about me. I've been in lockdown for weeks and all I've been doing is eating biscuits. No, dude. You misunderstand again. I mean, it's, it's heavy truth. Big truth. Thanks, man. Jesus is the Amen. I'm going to go and tell Burke what you just said. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, sorry, Mozart. I misunderstood again. Well, look, it's, it's been lovely to meet you and lovely to talk to you. And, and please give Burke uh, my very, very best. I didn't expect that either, boys and girls. But anyway, Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and the Great Amen. Let's praise him. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures you won't walk out. Great love will lead me through You are my peace in the troubled sea Whoa. You are my peace in the troubled sea In the silence you won't let go In my questions your truth will hold Your great love will lead me through you are my peace in the troubled sea You are my peace in the troubled sea
peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Bible today, we are still in the book of Revelation, and this morning we're going to look at Revelation chapter 10 and 11. This is the word of God. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. 
Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them to be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they had heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. At that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Amen. And we thank God for his precious word. If only God would do something. If only God would step in dramatically into human history and show himself. Then, and only then, will I believe. How many times have we heard cries like this? How many moments have you spent in conversation with your loved ones who have said similar things as to what I have just said? If only this God of yours did something amazing, showed himself to me, then I would believe. I'm sorry to say, I don't believe a word of that. Biblically speaking, as we read through the book of Revelation, what we see is quite the opposite. We have spent some time looking at the opening of the seven seals and we've stated that these are limited and providential judgments of God upon the earth. There will be wars and rumours of wars and famines and scarcity and trouble and there will be no peace. The church will be persecuted but she will continue to proclaim the gospel and then one day it will all come to a close as Christ returns. The same story is told by the seven trumpets of judgment that are blown in chapters 8 and 9 of Revelation. They tell the same story as the opening of the seven seals, but this time from a different perspective. 
This time we see human history unfolding according to the perspective of sinful humanity. And you might think, well, as God comes in judgment upon the earth, as he pours out these limited and providential judgments upon the earth, then surely there will be people who see these things and count the days they're living in and then look on to Jesus and be saved. But I'm sorry to say, for the vast majority, that is not the case. Many of us have hoped and prayed over these past few weeks that there would be a great difference worked in our land because of COVID-19. We've heard stories about how many more people are tuning in to, to listen to sermons. They're tuning in to online worship services that have been broadcast throughout this country and throughout this world. Maybe we're about to see days of great revival and it will all come as a result of this pandemic. My friends, may it be so. May it be so. But in my perhaps sinful, faithless heart, I don't believe it will. I suspect COVID-19 will come and go and I suspect those who are on Facebook right now telling the world how everything's going to be different will very soon get back to normal. And why do I say this? Well, even after the trumpets have blown, even after human history unfolds and the Lord's judgment is upon the earth, even after all of that takes place, the blowing of the sixth trumpet in chapter 9 tells us that the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of their works of their hands nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorcerers or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Here is sinful humanity in all its repugnant glory. We have eyes to see, but we are blind. We have ears to hear, but we will not listen. We see the unfolding of human history. We see God's limited and providential judgments upon this earth, but still we shake our angry fist and refuse to repent. Still, the Lord is not listened to. My friends, today we consider those things. And then, after the sixth trumpet is blown, comes another interlude. Last time out, we met the Church of Jesus Christ. She was standing arrayed in white robes. She was singing praises of the Lamb. She was having her tears wiped away. This time, we meet her, and she has a job to do. And as you consider what I have just said about unrepentant, sinful humanity... Perhaps that job seems too great and too grand for your local fellowship, for you, a humble little part of the humble little Jesus Church of Jesus Christ on this earth. But my brothers and sisters, just as the interlude in the seventh seal was entirely encouraging, so I believe the interlude that comes now in Revelation 10 and Revelation 11 is entirely encouraging. And before we get to see the church and we hear what the church must do and how the church will face down sinful, unrepentant humanity, the first thing we meet is actually a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 10 begins by saying that John looks and sees another mighty angel coming down from heaven 
And at first glance, you might say, well, Scott, you've jumped the gun here. This is not Jesus. This, as we've read, is a mighty angel. But my friends, some of the details that are revealed to us here in this chapter point us to what I think is the absolute truth that we meet Jesus here. We see this mighty angel coming down from heaven and we're told that he is wrapped in a cloud. We meet this in other parts of the scriptures. In Psalm 97 and verse 2, we're told that clouds and thick darkness are all around the Lord. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. When we read of, of a being clothed in the clouds, we are thinking of the Lord alone. This mighty angel comes wrapped in a cloud and he has a rainbow over his head. In Revelation, we've already met a rainbow surrounding the throne of God in glory. And so here again, this mighty angel comes wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And we are remembering what we thought of Jesus back in Revelation chapter 1. Because again we see here in this verse that his face was like the sun and his legs were like pillars of fire. Here is Jesus. In response to the unrepentant world and to the darkness that we find ourselves living in. What do we need most? We need Jesus. In response to the challenge that is placed in front of the church of Jesus Christ, the mission that we have been given to go and make disciples in a world that is hard against the gospel, what do we need a vision of? We need to see Jesus. My friends, it is no mistake here that as we meet the church in Revelation 10 and 11, the first thing we meet is the head of the church, the bridegroom, Christ. Here he comes, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, with his face shining like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. And here he comes in verse 2, still holding the little scroll open in his hand. It is Jesus who has taken the scroll from the right hand of the Father. And it is Jesus who in these earlier chapters has opened that scroll and unfolded human history for us to see. It is an apocalypsis and he shows us what must soon take place. And so Jesus comes with this little scroll open in his hand and he sets his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he calls out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. My brothers and sisters, here is our Lord. Can you imagine the picture of this? One foot on the sea and one foot on the land. Here is this wonderful image of the crucified and raised and omnipotent Christ. Here is the lion of the tribe of Judah sending out his roar across the earth. Here is Jesus planting his feet on this earth and declaring, Mine, mine, the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ takes his place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, today... I am not coming to preach this sermon and to tell you that this world is all sweetness and light. We know from life and we know from experience and we know from how our churches act and operate that it isn't all sweetness and light. We know that as the church grows and, and proclaims it does so in dark days. But yet even though we see the world around us refusing to repent, Christ loses none of his power. Jesus loses none of his sovereignty. What we're given here is a wonderful picture of supreme confidence for the church. Not confident in our abilities, not confident in our programs, 
not confident because our music is better than your music or our minibus has wheels that are made out of gold, but confident in the head of the church, confident in Jesus, the one who has saved us and taken us from darkness into his marvelous light. My brothers and sisters, I wonder what we as a church are going to learn through these days of isolation. Maybe we will sit at home and, and dream of days that perhaps everybody in Balnehinch is going to come to know Christ as their saviour because they've all learned valuable lessons because of COVID-19. Or maybe we think of those who trouble us in our lives and we think, I, I really hope that that individual is going to learn a few lessons in this time and he's going to become less of an idiot, less of a goat. Maybe my relationship with that one or this one are going to change dramatically. My friends, I suspect we probably shouldn't hold our breath in those matters. But maybe today as we reflect on these words, maybe as we work our way through the book of Revelation, maybe once again as we catch this amazing vision of the Lord Jesus with power and might and majesty and authority, placing a foot on the earth and placing a foot on the sea and declaring mine and that voice of his roaring out, Maybe what we need more of as churches is Jesus. That might seem like a strange thing to say. Because after all, surely churches should all be about Christ. But how many times do we spend in meetings where Jesus is never mentioned? How many times do we spend dividing ourselves and fighting and arguing, not considering for a second what Christ wants for his church? How many times do we carry grudges to the grave? I will never speak to that person for as long as I live. How many times in our fellowships do we lose sight of Christ because we are so, so busy in the work that we forget the Lord of the work? Perhaps if anything can be learnt by us in this time of pandemic, it is that perhaps most of the stuff that we do when normal times are here, probably we should stop doing. When we return, and I'm speaking here of the church, the wider church, not just our church, but when, when we return, may we come home May we come back, may we gather again in our fellowships, and may our cry be, we want to see Jesus. Here he is. Here he is. In the face of sinful humanity's unrepentant hearts, we see Jesus. He is unbroken. He is unbowed. He is unafraid. And he stands like a colossus over this sinful world. He comes and he roars out. And as he called out, as we read in verse 3, the seven thunders sounded. And when they had sounded, verse 4, John was about to write down what he had heard. But instead, a voice from heaven says to him, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And my friends, to this very day, we have no clue what was said by the seven thunders. Today, in the face of a hard world against the gospel, we, we see this and what we realize is that we do not know everything. 
We do not have all the answers to all the difficulties that this world faces. The Lord has not revealed to us every inch of his plan. But today we trust him. And today, like Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 says, we understand that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And even though there are still those secret things which belong to the Lord, which you and I in humility need to accept that we do not know, there is much that we do know. Because in verse 5, when the angel who John saw standing on the sea and on the land, he, he raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Here the Lord Jesus Christ raises his right hand to heaven and swears that there will be no more delay. He swears that, that what he has promised is coming true. He swears that the mystery of God would be fulfilled. And today when we speak of the mystery of God, we aren't speaking anymore of something that is hidden away that we have to figure out and we have to go on some grand quest to try and put all the pieces together. Instead, the mystery of God has been revealed. That Jesus Christ would come and take on flesh. That he would die a sinner's death in our place. That he would be raised again to life. That he would ascend to heaven. That he would return in judgment. We know these things. The mystery has been revealed. And Jesus raises his hand and says this is a true word. And you might look at that and think well Scott why would, would Jesus swear? Why would Jesus have to do such a thing? Well, my friends, it, it shouldn't surprise us. We have seen this before in the scriptures. In the big book of Hebrews, as Paul is talking about God and, and the covenant that he makes with Abraham, he tells us that God swears by himself because there is no one greater than God. And so here is Jesus raising his hand before us and saying, I promise, I promise all that you've read, all that you know, all that you believe will be fulfilled. My friends, it is hard sometimes to trust. Sometimes our faith is incredibly weak. And especially when faced with the hardness of the world around us and the trouble in the world around us and the decisions that this world is making around us, at times we feel like, like where is the Lord in this? How can we keep going on? How can we believe the things that the preachers tell us? How can we continue to the very end when this earth seems totally out of control? And then we see this image. And Jesus stands upon the earth and is sovereign over it. And there are some things that belong to God alone, but there is much that we do know when Jesus raises his hand and says, there will be no more delay. There will be no more delay everything that we believe will take place will take place there are no two ways about it and I know that some scoff and I know some say well where is this God of yours where is this coming the Lord is not slow my friends 
But he wishes all to, to come to repentance that none would be lost. And so today, if you're hearing this and scoffing at this hopeful Christian with this lovely long beard flowing before you, telling you how confident he is in Christ, but you will not believe it, then wakey, wakey, my friend. Because the Lord is sovereign and today the Lord says he is working out his plans and today the Lord calls upon you to believe in him and to be saved. You see the day is coming. We've talked about that. The day is coming of judgment where Christ will take his seat and everyone who has ever lived will stand before him. That day is coming and that day must be made ready for. This is part of the mystery that he's been revealed. And as Jesus swears to heaven, he says there will be no more delay, but time is drawing to a close. So we have seen Jesus. And so far, so good. There's no sign of the church yet, but it begins to take place what our role in all of this is. In verse 8, the voice that John had heard from heaven spoke to him again and said, Go and take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so John does exactly what he is told. He goes and he takes the little scroll. And the angel in verse 9 says to him, Take and eat. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. John is to take this scroll and, and to eat it, to, to devour it. Again, this is not a, a strange image biblically. This is not the first time biblically we've come across anything like this. In Ezekiel 3 and verses 1 to 3, we read this. Son of man, that's speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. I ate it, says Ezekiel, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Ezekiel had a message. The prophet Ezekiel had a message. The apostle John has a message. He has given human history unfolded. He has given the revelation of God. He is to take it. He is to eat it. And he is to proclaim it. In verse 11 we read. You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. John is to stand and to proclaim what must soon take place. And my friends in many ways the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ is still absolutely the same. We are built on the foundations of the prophets, Ezekiel, and the apostles like John, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And still to this day, we are to go and to proclaim to the ends of the earth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be as sweet as honey, but sometimes it will be bitter. We know the reality of that. We know the reality of that in our own lives. And we will know the reality of that as we proclaim the gospel. Sometimes there will be many who will receive it like it is the greatest thing that they have ever heard. And in other times it will cause great hostility and great anger towards us. But my friends, here is the mission that this grand messenger of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, standing across the world, gives to us his bride, the church. John receives the little scroll. He devours it and he does what he is told. He goes and he preaches. 
what follows in the book of Revelation chapter 11 is what the church can expect as we too go and proclaim. In chapter 11, the church is portrayed in two ways. The first is as a temple and the second is as two witnesses. John is told in Revelation 11 and verse 1, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. My friends, this image of, of a city is very, very important in the book of Revelation. Later in this preaching series, we will come across the city of man, if you like, the city of Babylon, and we will see what happens to her. But here we see the city of God. We see the people of God described as the temple of God. Once more, this is not strange, brand new imagery. As we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us in verse 19, You then are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are that temple. By faith in Christ, we are being built into this holy temple unto the Lord. And here, as we meet the church in these opening verses of chapter 11, we see the temple being measured. Here's a word of comfort. How do we face such a sinful, rebellious world with the gospel? How do we stand when the word of God is, is bitter in this world and people respond and rebel against it? What do we do? How can we stand with the fury of the evil one against us? We do it because we know that God is for us. And we do it because we know that he knows us. He measures his people. You've maybe heard some saying at times, oh, I've, I've got the measure of him. In other words, they're saying, I know him. Well, in the same way as God commands John to measure his temple, to measure his people, God knows us. And yet as we meet this word of comfort, there's also a word of warning. Because we're told that the outer court is not mentioned, or not measured. It is to be left out and given over to the nations, and they will trample the outer court of the holy city for 42 months. The ministry of the church is one where the gospel will be preached, but one where we will meet persecution at every turn. We see the same as the church is described as the two witnesses in verse 3. The Lord says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. And if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. The church is the temple of God. The church is the city of God. The church is the two witnesses of God. Some well-meaning believers would argue that in the final days we can expect two witnesses of the Lord to come back and to preach on this earth. Witnesses like Moses and Elijah. 
But here, I think much more simply, we see the testimony of the church. Why are there two? Well, again, biblically speaking, a testimony is, is set in stone and proved to be authentic as two witnesses come and work together. In Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, we read, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 and verse 16, If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus in Mark 6 sends out his disciples two by two. And in 1 Timothy 5 and 18, we're told that there's no charge against an elder to be accepted unless it is established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Here we see the church. She goes forward proclaiming the truth. And her testimony is true. It is a God-given testimony. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a mystery that has been unveiled. And so the church, the temple of God, and the church, the two witnesses of the Lord, go forward to proclaim the gospel. She is, as we read here, the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And this is imagery that is taken from Zechariah chapter 3 and 4. Spend time today reading those passages where we meet Zerubbabel, the royal king, and Joshua, the high priest. And so we see here that the church's ministry as the two witnesses and the two olive trees and the two lampstands as a true ministry and one of prophet and priest and king. Friends, here is the significance of what we are involved in on this earth. We are men and women who are, are weak and heavily burdened. We are men and women that will not probably meet the success that we hope for. Your church today, as you listen to this, could be hopelessly divided. Your church might be so small that you're worried that COVID-19 is going to shut it. Your church may be without a pastor. Your church may not play the music you like. Your church may be one that seems to be on its last legs and hasn't seen anybody converted in years. And yet man, woman, child of God, church of Jesus Christ, you're part of the bride for which Jesus has died. You're part of this movement of God who tells us to go and to make disciples. We are the temple of God, the city of God, the two witnesses of God with the responsibility of God to preach the gospel. We're dressed, as we're told here, in sackcloth. At the end of verse 3, we go again preaching a message of judgment and one where we call upon many to repent. Today, my friends, our message has not changed. Today, we still look people in the eye and tell them that they must be born again. Today, we are unashamed of this message because we know that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation of all who would believe. Our message may not be popular. Our message might get us into trouble. It might cause us to lose our job. But our message is literally life and death. How many times have I wasted time? How many times have I stood in queues at the post office whinging about how everybody's going so slow? How many times have I been in the lift in the Royal Victoria Hospital with people all around me and we stand talking about the football or the health service or coronavirus? Virus? 
My friends, what we have got to say is the church of Jesus Christ is hugely significant, hugely wonderful, hugely amazing, and it takes people out of the clutches of the evil one and brings them to life eternal. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we've got to proclaim. And so friends, whether popular or not, whether the world wants to hear it or not, we preach Christ. And him crucified. And we should not fear. Because as John tells us in verse 6. We have the power to shut the sky. That no rain may fall during the days of our prophesying. They have the power of the waters to turn them into blood. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague. As often as they desire. My friends you read these and you think. Well my church has never done that. I've never seen days like that when my brothers and sisters again may COVID-19 teach us how to pray. May COVID-19 show us that the most important meeting in any church is the one that we have always rejected in our lifetime. And that is the meeting of prayer. Where men and women of faith gather and stop everything else that we do and we bend the knee and we cry upon the Lord to save, to work, to step in, to, to intercede, to cause the rains to stop and for the rains to come. My brothers and sisters, may we learn that the church of Jesus Christ may appear weak, but the Lord has given us all the resources we need to reach into this harlot world. Ours is a message of grace and mercy and repentance and Jesus. But as you can imagine, such a message will not be popular. We will speak in the weeks to come about what the enemy of the church looks like, but we see a little glimpse of it here. In verse 7, we read that when their testimony is ended, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on the church and conquer them and kill them. The church, the two witnesses, will be left dead in the street in verse 8, in the great city, that is the city of man, that is symbolically called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, verse 9, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will look at the dead bodies and refuse to let them to be buried. And the people of earth will rejoice over the death of the church because the church, verse 10, had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. My friends, understand. That the message that we have been given is not a popular one. How many times have I heard the discussions around the issues of the day and, and hearing well-meaning Christians who say, oh, we've got to move on with the world. We've got to move with history or history's going to forget us. My friends, the church of Jesus Christ has never been required by her Lord to move with history. Never have we, the Lord required us to, to go along, to get along. And if we are in bed with the city of man, then it's like the, the little frog who, who carries the scorpion across the water. The scorpion bites the frog and the frog says, what did you do that for? And the scorpion says, I'm a scorpion. My friends, that is the reality. The gospel is not a popular message. The gospel is one that causes a sharp line of division in our towns and cities and even in our families. And the gospel is a message that perhaps in your lifetime will cause you great trouble. But my friends, do not doubt how glorious a message it is. And do not doubt its importance. 
even though it appears that the church has been destroyed. We read as these verses end that after three and a half days, a breath of life of God enters them. They stand up on their feet and the Lord calls them up into heaven in verse 12. And everyone is amazed. And then in verse 13, there's a great earthquake as God's judgment falls. And the days on this earth come to a close. Brothers and sisters, here is the church in times of war. We know because this Bible, this passage has already told us that one day we will go to glory. In chapter 7 we have been told that one day our tears will be wiped. But we know that that isn't today. But friends, take heart. Because these days of trouble and trial mercifully will be short. Here we have met various time spans. We're told that the church will be trampled for 1,260 days. We're told as well about 42 months. We're told about these time scales in the book of Revelation and we think, well, what does that mean? Well, 42 months is three and a half years. 1,260 days is 42 months. In the ancient world, a month was 30 days exactly. None of this messing about that you and I do. And so what we see here is that the time of trouble for the church of Jesus Christ is a limited time. If seven is the perfect number, then three and a half is half of seven. And so we will not go through this forever. There will come a day that Christ will come back. There will come a day when all of this will be put to one side and even death will be placed under the feet of Jesus. But my friends, it is not yet. It is not today. But as we finish our look at this passage, this blessed interlude, I want you to know that the labors of the church of Jesus Christ will not be in vain. Understand that, my friends. There will be some of you who have spent many years teaching Sunday school and you wonder, what's the point? Many of you fellow pastors and preachers that will preach your heart out and you wonder, what's the point? Many of you who have been praying for a long time for your loved ones to come to Christ and you perhaps at the end of your life are now thinking, what is the point? Understand, my brothers and sisters. That in Christ our labours are not in vain. Understand today that although perhaps we don't see our churches bursting at the seams, filled to the gills with, with men and women coming to know Christ, our labours are not in vain and that there will be those in glory because of the ministry of our churches in this town and all around this world. So brothers and sisters, time is indeed short. And there are many dark days that lie ahead. But for you and for me, may we learn in these days of isolation, may we learn to pray on, to preach on, to press on, always looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
these passages show us what lies ahead. The church must endure for a time. But we are confident of this. The church will rest forever. cannot quench your love rivers cannot overwhelm it oceans of fear cannot conceal your love for me many waters cannot quench your love rivers cannot overwhelm it Oceans of fear cannot conceal your love for me. Your love for me.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be ours now and even forevermore. Amen.